Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Does God ever seem distant to you? Well, no matter how you feel, God is real. To mature your friendship, God will test it with periods of seeming separation, times when it feels as if he has abandoned or forgotten you. But God doesn't leave you. He has promised repeatedly, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God admits that sometimes he hides his face from us. This is a normal part of the testing and the maturing of your friendship with God. Job said, I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I turn to the south, but I cannot find him. But he knows where I am going. And when he has tested me like gold in a fire, he will pronounce me innocent. So now tell me, how do you praise God when you don't understand what's happening in your life and God is silent? Well, you do what Job did. Tell God exactly how you feel. I can't be quiet, said Job. I am angry and bitter. I have to speak. This sounds like a contradiction. I trust God, but I'm wiped out. Regardless of circumstances and how you feel, hang on to God's unchanging character. He is good and loving. He is all-powerful. He notices every detail of my life. He is in control. He will save me. Circumstances cannot change the character of God. Trust God to keep his promises and remember what God has already done for you. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair shows you how to trust in God with a reminder to remember his promise to you, I will never leave you. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Here we are already, almost the last day of January, a month in the new year has passed. Anything particular on your mind that you'd like to reflect on or call our attention to? Oh, my goodness, on my mind. Well, <laughs> there's always something uh, afoot. Uh, but uh, no, it, we're uh, already thinking about Lent. I'm mm. thinking about uh, we're preparing uh, to uh, launch the, um, well, we have launched the uh, Archbishop's Annual Appeal for 2023. And I'm hoping that that will be successful uh, again because of all the good that it does. And of course, we are always uh, concerned about our Catholic schools, our Catholic charities, uh, about uh, pastoral planning for our parishes, about our seminarians, about uh, looking to the future for how we can plan wisely for our local church. So, and of course, as I'm getting a bit older, uh, as as are you, and as much as we're the same age, uh, I also think of the future of uh, how how that will all play out. So. Mm-hmm. As we begin a new year, you know, they're, they're all the things that uh, are the focus. Well, since we've begun this new year, have you heard anything from our pastors in various parishes about mass attendance? Is it beginning to pick back up? Well, it's a mixed picture, and I don't ask for a formal report, but when there are gatherings of priests, uh, anecdotally uh, as well, they ask how things are going, and it's mixed. I've been very pleased that when I've had masses at the cathedral, that the attendance seems to be uh, bouncing back very well. Uh Uh, At Christmas, we had a very nice attendance, which pleased me no end. 
And in the parishes, I think it depends. But I do want to make an appeal to our listeners. If you are still just uh, sitting it out at home or you're even live streaming, it was a, a helpful thing during COVID uh, at its height. But it's no substitute for participation. No, no and, not at all. And we could have a whole discussion about life in general, that you can't live a life on a screen. You have to live a life in communion with other people in uh, in the context of rubbing shoulders and being with other people. And certainly that's true of the sacraments. It's true of, of uh, a faith life. You know, it's a mixed picture, mixed uh, blessing, because on the one hand, live streaming does reach out to people, but that's not ultimately the answer. The answer is for people to come face-to-face, and not only face-to-face with one another, but face-to-face with our Lord in the Holy Eucharist. Now, obviously, Jesus is everywhere, but the gift of himself of his flesh and blood in the Holy Eucharist and in the powerful working of the Holy Spirit when the scriptures are proclaimed at Mass, you can't make up for that just by being on your own. Well, you I, don't think, to... I don't think any of us wants to just sit back and watch life go by. We want to participate in life. And the same thing should be true about, about Mass. We don't want to just watch Mass, live stream Mass, when we can be out there and participating and receiving the Eucharist and participating in, in Mass with our brothers and sisters in this community of faith. Yes, but there are a lot of wounded people in our world today, in our society, in our archdiocese. Wounded in the sense that... Um, COVID and many other things uh, keep people apart or even lead to a kind of low-grade depression sometimes, I think, uh, that people, uh, and we see this symptomatically in a lot of behaviors that are problematic uh, today. You know, we're not relying on our own psychic uh, powers or our own uh, psychological stamina. We we have to turn to the grace of God uh, and ask for that grace to do the right thing and to rouse ourselves, so to speak, to a a lively faith that gets up and goes out and engages. So that's my hope and prayer that things will get even better in the coming year. I certainly hope so. Well, today marks the beginning of Catholic Schools Week, an annual celebration of Catholic education in the United States. Schools typically observe the week with masses, open houses, and other activities. In your opinion, what are the qualities that make Catholic schools work and succeed today, Archbishop? My answer dovetails with what we were just saying, that through COVID, you know, our schools uh, stayed face-to-face and and without bad consequences, and it's made a world of difference. I I think we've had occasion on this program Mm -hmm. to have a discussion about what our Catholic schools are doing, how well they're doing in enrollment and also in achievement. And so I think really things are looking very, very good for our schools right now, but of course, Uh, Our teachers uh, only get paid a fraction of what the public schools get. And uh, we know that for our parents, it's it's hard sometimes to even provide the tuition that that, uh, we we need to collect as a minimum. I just hope that our listeners will continue to work, stand up, and ask our Connecticut legislature to provide what has been provided in many other states. And that is a help for parents to choose something other than a public school. Where this has happened, it's been beneficial not only for the education of the children, but also for the good, the common good. We keep saying this every year, uh, and I I know that many of our Catholic people do stand up to be counted on this. Our Connecticut Catholic Conference is always making an effort uh, to do this. Uh, I've probably said before that sometimes they've said, you know, we should have all of our Catholic school kids one day come to the state capitol and stand around yeah. and let the legislators see that if they had to pay, if the municipalities had to pay 
what they pay per student for all these kids, it would be a huge, huge economic burden. So why not provide some help to our our, uh, parents uh, to send them to Catholic school? Absolutely. Wednesday, February 1st, along with being the first day of February, a new month, uh, it's also the start of National Mend a Broken Heart Month. Now, this annual observance encourages individuals and groups to support America's children who have been abused, neglected, and abandoned by the very people who should love them the most. These children must be rescued from their homes, often entering crisis shelters and foster care with no personal belongings. Is there something the church can do to support foster children and foster families, Archbishop? Well, I think we do what we can through Catholic Charities, uh, and in part supported by the Archbishop's Annual Appeal. We're always trying to do things for for family life and for the children and, and parents that are in need. But, you know, healing the brokenness of the American family is uh, a monumental task because there's so many elements that contribute to the problem. I think, uh, you know, in my age, I sometimes repeat myself, and maybe I said this the last program, but, you know, that startling statistic that in the United States today, it's about 18% of the population that lives in a home with a father and a mother who are married with kids under 18 years of age. Can you imagine mm-hmm. when we were kids in, 19, in the 50s or 60s, uh, comparing the statistics? And when you have that situation where you do not have stable, strong family life based on fundamental truths about the human person and human nature uh, and the difference between men and women and fatherhood and motherhood, when, you, when all those things go down the tubes, it's very hard to bring healing to these situations. But we struggle to do that, and that, that's our commitment of charity and justice that we try to pursue. That could be a prayer intention throughout the month of, of February, National Men to Broken Heart Month, National Help Families Be Healthy Month. Well, it's not just helping families. It's for the, the people themselves to wake up to the realities of what it means to be a man and a woman, what it means to be a father and a mother, what it means to assume responsibility for children, and to have children, to actually have children, that having children is not some ecological problem. Uh, Having children perpetuating the human race (laughs) is uh, certainly a good thing, a worthy thing, and uh, that's something that we have to keep repeating. Thursday, February 2nd, the Church celebrates the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord, which commemorates the presentation of Jesus in the temple and the purification of Mary 40 days after his birth. Talk for a minute about the significance of this feast and the reason that it is also referred to as Candlemas Day with the blessing of candles. Well, it relates to an incident in the, related in the scriptures about Jesus in accordance with the law being presented in the temple. And of course, having just come back from the Holy Land, it's very evocative there, you know, mm-hmm. to realize uh, these sites where these uh, things uh, took place. The spiritual theme of it is that Jesus is the light of the world. And when the child Jesus is brought into the temple, uh, it is this light that is commemorated in the words of Simeon there in the temple uh, about a light to the Gentiles and, and Israel. Uh, Christ himself said, I am the light of the world. So all of this comes together in this beautiful feast. There's much to to meditate about there. You know, also the fact that the prophecy was made that a sword would pierce Mary's heart, you know, Our Lady of Sorrows, that uh, the child uh, uh, who is the light would be attacked by the darkness, but the darkness would not overcome it. It's also World Day of Consecrated Life, which is attached to the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord. 
Pope St. John Paul II instituted this as a day of prayer back in 1977 for women and men in consecrated life. It's recommended that we use this occasion to ask, how is God calling me to give of myself this day? Uh, do you want to comment on, on the fact that this is World Day of Consecrated Life as well, Archbishop? Yes, well, that's uh, a very important thing. You know that uh, religious life, consecrated life, whether it's cloistered sisters or sisters in an active apostolate, or whether it's uh, brothers, uh, monasteries, whether it's religious orders of priests, this uh, consecration in that kind of life is extremely important. It's been part of the church since ancient times. And uh, in our day, it's no less important that people uh, bear this consecrated witness uh, in the world uh, to a life of uh, uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience, and lived in community and engaged in gospel work. And it takes many, many forms. Of course, today we know that religious life has taken quite a beating, that uh, all the many great religious orders that used to be so visible and so active in the life of the church, especially in the United States, are now greatly diminished. So we're going through a period of real uh, challenge. But the truth at the heart of that uh, way of life, which is a, a gospel way of life, remains as important as ever. And I'm very grateful uh, to the uh, sisters, uh, brothers, priests, and religious life who give their witness in our archdiocese and who contribute so much good. On Friday, the church celebrates the Feast of St. Blaise. We, we know more about the devotion to St. Blaise than we know about the saint himself. In terms of the, the blessing of throats, Archbishop, they say that St. Blaise was known for his healing miracles. And there's a story that, that around the year 316, the governor of Cappadocia Agricola arrested the then Bishop Blaise for being a Christian. He was actually arrested for being a Christian. And on his way to jail, a woman set her only son, who was choking to death on a fishbone, at his feet and asked Blaise to cure the child because he was choking to death. And Blaise then actually cured him. And as a result, we have the, the blessing of throats. Is this something that is recommended for all Catholics to have their throats blessed on the Feast of St. Blaise? Well, as you say, it's a devotional practice, but mm. it's a very fine one. It's you know the kind of thing. It's not superstition. It's or anything like that. But it's a custom that integrates the life of, of the saints and the healing power of God in Christ through the intercession of the saints. It it brings that down to everyday life. You know, sometimes many of the things we believe are you can describe in words, but uh, it also has to take the form of some action, of some devotion. It's a communal thing. People come together to have their throats blessed, to invoke the intercession of a saint whose story from antiquity is about uh, this kind of uh, healing. And so those are all very, very good things. And I think people respond to them. They're drawn to them. Of course, we have to be very careful that they don't become superstitious. You know, it's not like some magic formula or voodoo, but it is simply invoking the help of a saint to see us through our everyday life and to uh, watch over us. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Well, come this Saturday, we remember the birth anniversary of the First Lady of Civil Rights, Rosa Parks. On a fateful day in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955, a time when African Americans were obligated by law to ride in the back of the bus, she refused to give up her seat to a white man during a ride home from work. And this simple act sparked the modern civil rights movement, leading to a boycott of the bus system and lawsuits and an eventual Supreme Court decision and saying that segregation was unconstitutional. Archbishop, looking at racism in America today, do you think it's increasing or decreasing? I mean, there seems to be a lot of talk these days 
about racism, and it almost as if it's a political talking point. Yes, well, I think, you know, obviously it's a great, um, a great wound on our American history that from the beginning we accepted and, and tolerated and lived uh, with uh, slavery. And, you know, slavery itself uh, goes back to origins of, the, of human history, and it, it represents different things at different times. So, for example, St. Paul can say at the time of the Gospels, to slaves be subject to your masters, because it was part of a social order of conquered peoples, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't mean that St. Paul approved of slavery, but it simply meant that in the harsh reality of those days, how do you live as a good Christian if you are a slave or if you're someone who owns slaves Mm -hmm. in that society and that kind of world? But with the passing of time, and thanks to the gospel, we we come out of that. And uh, I know that the biblical world has been used as an excuse to make, to have slavery continue. But really, we know that that's not justified. I think in our country today, it's a question of prejudice, uh, and it's not just about African Americans, but you know about people who are different than than we we might be, that you and I might be, that somebody might yeah. be. When people are, have a different background, a different culture, a different color of their skin, some people feel threatened by that or, they, I, or because they don't, I don't know, they, they want everybody to be the same. But that's not what it is. And of course, for a Catholic, how can that be? I mean, the church embraces every landed people on the globe. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So we have to always be trying to, you know, we don't level everything off because people have their distinctive histories, their culture, but we appreciate and respect one another. And certainly on the level of the economy and social life, we don't uh, eliminate somebody or, or marginalize them because uh, they're different. So it's a very delicate thing. It's not just in the United States, but it's in a lot of places. And we have to be agents of doing the right thing and not the wrong thing. And talk about doing the right thing. The gospel puts us on a path to doing the right thing as we talk about the Beatitudes today on this fourth Sunday of Ordinary Time. So today's gospel is from Matthew's Gospel, the fifth chapter. After the gospel is dramatically presented, then we'll talk with you, Archbishop, asking for your thoughts and inspired wisdom. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Archbishop, what strikes you about this gospel account? Is this a realistic roadmap to a blessed life? Well, clearly it is. Uh, it's certainly not my wisdom, but the wisdom of God, the wisdom of Jesus, you know. And really in the Beatitudes, you see, you really get to the heart of what Christ 
asks of us, what he expects of us, what God wants of us in order to live in accordance with uh, truth and love. Um, and I think that for all of us, uh, meditating, if you ask me what's the best thing to think about and pray about about living a true Christian life, I would say that the Beatitudes are, are it. If you read those and you put those into practice, then you are not, as Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And we are not far from the beginning of Lent. And when you just mentioned that about meditating on these Beatitudes, I think that that would be a proper meditation for Lent. Yeah, don't let Lent catch you unawares. Think about how you're going to observe it so that when the the gun goes off at the starting line for Lent, you're ready to go. Because 40 days is not long. When I was a kid, it seemed long, but it doesn't seem long anymore. Is there one particular beatitude that you think is indispensable for us to grow in holiness in our own day and time today? A special need of all of us in the times in which we live. I suppose the one about, blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. You know, there was a time in the United States when I think, well, there was prejudice against Catholics, I suppose, but today people of faith... um, do have to put up with a lot of insults and uh, false accusations and such. Uh, And I think you you really have to stand up and be counted and be brave uh, to to really be a true believer in today's world. Let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our uh, listeners. For instance, Sandy from Norfolk says, My divorced son attended church with me over the holidays. I was embarrassed when a parishioner I am friends with told me that my son should not have received communion since he was divorced. He's not remarried, so I thought this wasn't an issue. Is divorce a reason not to receive communion? Well, Sandy, I'm sorry that you experienced this because as much as we try, sometimes our Catholic people live in abysmal ignorance because you're quite right. He was divorced, and there are many people who are divorced, sometimes often through no fault of their own or sometimes for their own protection. He's not remarried, so that being the case, there's no reason in the world for him not to receive communion. And if he wanted to remarry, then of course he would need to try to have some uh, understanding of that first marriage and and why a divorce took place to see if, uh, you know, uh, that could be remedied. No, I'm afraid the person who said that to you was, was very wrong. Greg from Suffield says, Why does the Roman Missal desire that the people receive communion from the altar not from the tabernacle at Mass. Because the sacramental sign is uh, about the the Eucharist as it's celebrated uh, then and there. Now, certainly no one is disputing that the consecrated hosts remain the body and blood of Christ, but uh, it's in the nature of of offering the sacrifice. Do you know that when when a priest can celebrate the Mass, uh, for him to have actually personally uh, celebrated that Mass... He has to receive the communion that was consecrated at that Mass mm-hmm. because he is, well, to use an old-fashioned uh, or a more technical word, I should the Eucharist is confected in that sacrifice. And the sacrifice of the Mass that the priest offers has to be consummated in the reception of Holy Communion for the priest both under both forms, a consecrated host and consecrated wine, the body and blood of Christ. And the the point is simply that the, the the sign of the mass and the celebration is not well served when uh, people just receive communion from from a pre consecrated host. The only reason hosts were ever reserved was for the sick originally, 
uh, in church. They yeah. were kept there yeah. in case somebody needed uh, communion uh, who was sick outside of Mass. So uh, it's not that they're, they're any less the body of Christ, but it, it has to do with the understanding of the nature of the Eucharistic sacrifice uh, that takes place at that Mass. Sandy from Meriden says, How do I know God has forgiven me for a sin? I am remorseful, and I've asked God for his forgiveness and grace, but I cannot forget about it like I know I am supposed to. Is it good that I remember my transgressions so I don't repeat them, or am I sinning by just remembering my past sins? Can I accept God's forgiveness and still feel sorrow? Well, Sandy, uh, it's important to be careful not to fall into scrupulosity. Scrupulosity is not a good thing to be so scrupulous that you keep questioning, you know, whether you're forgiven or this or that. You know, when when you confess your sins to the best of your ability uh, and you're, you receive absolution, you, you, we all know that we're weak and we may very well commit the same sin again. And that we just keep, you know, Jesus fell three times during his passion. When we fall, we get up and we just keep going with God's help. But not to dwell on how do I know God has forgiven me for a sin? Well, you know because that's your Catholic faith. Uh, I assume that, that you, you believe what the Church believes and teaches about this, and so you just have to resolve to put that aside, that, that uh, scrupulosity. Frank from Plymouth says, I have accumulated many prayer and religious magazines over the years. The prayer magazines have the full daily Bible readings and abbreviated prayers from the Divine Office or Liturgy of the Hours. The religious magazines have pictures of icons, Bible quotes, and some writings of the saints. Is it acceptable to throw these away, or should I continue to store them in my house? No, Frank, you can dispose of those, certainly. There's nothing there that would prevent you from uh, from uh, these uh, worship aids and things that come along. You can dispose of them. Andrea from Glastonbury says, I have to renew my driver's license and know I will be asked whether or not I would like to become an organ donor. I understand that it helps others, but I also know that the body is special and will be used for our resurrection. What does the Church teach on organ donation after death? Yes, Andrea, the Church teaches that that it is very acceptable and it's an act of charity to do it, but the problem is uh, after death. Uh, There is some dispute among theologians and doctors about what constitutes absolute death, uh, so-called brain death. But that being the case, uh, even though there are some questions about this, as best I recall, there's nothing at present to prevent someone from uh, donating organs after death in order to save the life of someone else. Or what about donation of a kidney by a living donor? Oh, certainly, yes. Bill from East Haven says, A new poll conducted by Marist and sponsored by the Knights of Columbus showed that although over 60% of Americans identify as pro-choice, almost 70% support limits to abortion. According to the report, 7 out of 10 people felt that abortion should have some restrictions, especially after three months of pregnancy. It also showed that most Americans believe it is possible to protect both the health of the mother and the life of her unborn baby. What are your thoughts on this poll? What efforts are being made within the Archdiocese to restore a culture of life in Connecticut, a predominantly pro-choice state? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, first of all, yes, I think there have been many polls uh, by many uh, people, and I think there is a sense uh, that uh, most Americans are not in favor of absolute abortion on, on demand at any time under with no restrictions. But obviously, uh, there are others who feel very strongly the other way. Uh, here in Connecticut right now, you know, 
There's a proposal made to at least call for parental notification of a minor who wants to get an abortion. And last I heard, they won't even allow that to come up on the House floor of the Connecticut legislature. And somebody told me that they actually think it would pass if it came up for a vote. Mm. But those who are responsible for these things are not going to let it happen, or at least so we're told. That's politics, and we have to we have to work with that. But um, as far as uh, what is being done to restore a culture of life in Connecticut, uh, well, I I would I know what we're doing is an archdiocese in season, out of season, always talking about it. Always, how often do we talk about it on this this program? True. Uh, what Catholic conference does everything? All the efforts we do in our diocese is to help mothers. All the pro-life centers, all the marches, the big the big um, march that we have at the state capitol, and we'll be doing again this year. So we're doing plenty. I would turn the question around a little bit and say, what are our listeners doing to promote life? Uh, I assume that people of goodwill are accepting our invitation to join us to do things like the ones I've just described. I hope that that will continue very strongly. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord God, you grant us so many blessings, both uh, of this world and of the world to come. And we pray that as we live our lives, we may always strive to seek that holiness without which we cannot see you face to face. We pray that we may be faithful and firm in living the gospel, that we may, the Beatitudes may truly be the guide for our path, that we may put aside all the divisions and the sins that, are, are, that surround us and the human family. And we ask your blessing now and always on our local church, on ourselves individually, our families, and our world, and especially that you grant peace to the people of Ukraine. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week. In the meantime, have a wonderful week of religious celebrations, including the presentation of the Lord and the Feast of St. Blackness. Thank you.